God's word, as you know, uh, as, as being a follower of Christ, God's word is absolutely amazing and is full of so many life applicable, uh, so many applications that we can take and, and instill in our lives where, where, where we can use God's word as a mirror to look at our circumstances and our situations and see what he has to say to us through his word. And today, it has no shortage of, of that as we're going to continue our study in Acts chapter 10, we are in, in this process of this mini-series uh, in the book of Acts, God-sized conversions. We looked at uh, Simon Magus a couple weeks ago. Then we looked at the really miraculous uh, conversion of an Ethiopian eunuch. Last week, we looked at the conversion of one of the greatest, if not the most influential Christian uh, leader outside Jesus himself, Paul the Apostle, and his conversion there on the road to Damascus. And today, we're going to be picking up with something a little bit different. Different. We're going to be looking at the conversion of a Gentile, a non-Jewish conversion, but not just any Gentile, not just any non-Jew. We're going to look at the conversion of a Roman soldier, but not just of a Roman soldier, the conversion of a Roman centurion, someone who was in the leadership. We're going to see his conversion in this morning's message that we have titled, the centurion's conversion. Coming to you from Acts chapter 10. This is what it says, picking up in verse 1. It says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, and who gave generously alms to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw a vision clearly of an angel of God coming and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So that he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon Boreas, or Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And then the angel who spoke to him had departed. Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him uh, continually. And so when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. We're going to continue reading on just a little bit more, and then we're going to dive into prayer and eat up the meat of this sermon. The next day, as they went on their journey, they drew near to the city, and Peter went up onto the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And then he came before, uh, then he came and became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners descending to him, let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And the voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, eat, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time. 
What God has cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. And this was done three times, and the object was taken up back into heaven again. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the, for the opportunity that we have to read your word, to study your word, to see what your word has to say to us today. God, we thank you that your word is not just some archaic document, but it is living and it is active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, God, and it reveals to us the motives and the intents of our heart. God, we pray that this morning you, by your Holy Spirit, would reveal truth in your word to us. God, that we would be challenged. God, that we would be encouraged. God, that we would be inspired to live more in the power that you have given us through your spirit. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us a heart and a mind to discern where you are moving. God, this morning as we spend these next few moments going over your word, looking at the intricacies of these real historical people, and God, their shortcomings and their faithfulness. God, I pray that we are inspired in our own lives. God, I pray that none of these would be my words, but that you would speak through anything that would be of Matt. God, may it fall on deaf ears. God, we pray all these things. We believe all these things in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen. For those of you who have heard me give a message or, or have, have listened to me just talk in passing, uh, you couldn't help but know that I love history. Uh, so much so that when I went to college, I studied history. And it just so happens that time period in the area of history that I studied was first and second century Roman history. So I got all sorts of information that you probably don't need to hear. Uh, but I'm going to give you some of it because I just love history. And this morning is not going to be a history lecture. Um, the last time I, I taught from God's Word, uh, it, it, it ended up becoming more of a history lecture as opposed to a preaching point. There was some life application, but today we're going to just have a brief deep dive into Sir Roman understanding, and then we're going to hit life af application after life application as we continue this study. But before we dive into the history, let's start with geography, because who doesn't love a good map? So our story here starts in Acts chapter 1 with Cornelius. Cornelius is, is here, and he is in Caesarea. Now this Caesarea is not to be confused with Caesarea Philippi, which was more inland. It was near Mount Hermon. This is Caesarea that is there on the coast. It is just south of Mount Carmel, and it was known as Caesarea by the sea. It was largely a Gentile city, and it was the center of the Roman administrative offices and the location of many of Herod the Great's building projects. Josephus breaks down kind of just the, the, the outline of the city, the layout, and it, it, is, it is a magnificent city. There's lots of wealth. There's lots of business. There's lots of politics here in Caesarea by the sea. And so we are introduced to this individual by the name of Cornelius, who is a centurion. Now, it should be noted that a centurion is a non-commissioned officer in the Roman army, uh, and, and he was one of the leaders of auxiliaries uh, within the Roman army. These auxiliaries would go to different territories, they would be stationed, and centurions were non-commissioned officers 
over uh, these, these regiments. And a centurion would be over a centuria, which was about 100 men, if not 100 men. And these, and these groups were a part of cohorts or, or groups of 600 men. Uh, and Acts chapter 10 tells us here uh, in verse 1 that Cornelius was a centurion, so a, a, a leader, a non-commissioned leader of 100 men in what was called the Italian cohort. And so this Italian cohort, we actually know from history uh, that this Italian cohort was cohorts two, Italica, Civum, Romanum. This was a, a group of Italian soldiers here stationed in Syria, uh, and they were an important fighting force throughout the first and the second century. And so here we have Cornelius, who is a leader within this group. He is a Gentile, but Acts tells us something very specific about this man. Verse 2 is he is a devout man who was a fearer of God with all his household. This, this statement, fearer of God or, or, or believer in God, uh, we can know uh, because of history, because of Judaism, because of things that are allowed within Torah, there were groups of Gentiles that were known as God-fearers. They were people who revered the one true God of Judaism. They, 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 they had a reverence for Yahweh. They, they, they had thrown off the paganism of, of their Gentile culture, and they had submitted to the one true living God. And, and, and they followed Mosaic law. They followed uh, the laws that were laid out for Noah. But then they wouldn't go as far as circumcision so they wouldn't become full-on Jewish proselytes. They were like almost there. They were fearers of God. They were believers in the one true God, but they had not circumcised themselves to join the Jewish faith outright. And we will see that Paul and Peter and, and many of these first century apostles, as they go forth from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria into the ends of the earth, they go and they find many God-fearers, give them the truth that the God that they fear became man in the person of Jesus Christ, lived a sinless life, died on the cross on their behalf, rose again so that they could have salvation and eternal life. And we see many God-fearers throughout the first century uh, coming to faith in Jesus. So much so that this is the first Roman official that we see who, who converts uh, to Christianity. But there are going to be other Roman officials. There are those who believe Pontius Pilate's wife, some who believe Pontius Pilate himself. They're in Judea, these Romans. But then from there, it goes on even further to by the time we get to the second and the third century, we have senators and senators' wives. We even have people in the court of emperors who they themselves are Christians. But it all starts with the planting of the good seed. And that is where we see this centurion, someone who feared God. He prays always. He gives alms to the poor. And at the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision of an angel. Now, your translation and my translation and most English translations say an angel. Some of the Greek and, and some of the Greek from the early manuscripts and some of the Greek from uh, copies of this or quotations of this in the church father refer to this as the angel of God. 
Uh, and there's some debate within patristics, which is the study of, of the early church fathers, that is this angel referenced here the same angel of the Lord that is referenced in the Old Testament, if you know anything about Christology or, or Christophanies, where it's a pre-incarnate Jesus showing up. Could this be, could this angel be a risen Jesus appearing to Cornelius and telling him what to do? Well, some of the early church fathers thought that he was. Most Bible commentators of today would say, no, nah, I think the best rendering of the Greek is an angel of the Lord. But whatever it may be, we know that God sent a messenger. Angel is, is the Hebrew word malakim or malak, which literally translated just means messenger. It's the equivalent of a modern postman or postwoman. And, and in the Greek, it, this word malak or malakim is translated to angelos, which also just means messenger. So God has sent a messenger to Cornelius. And the message he brings Cornelius is absolutely amazing. We're going to read it again because, because this is going to tie into the overall scope of this morning's application. But this is what it says. The angel came to him and said, Cornelius... Cornelius answers, he says, what is it, Lord? And the angel says to him, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. God hears your prayers. God sees what you are doing. God hears from heaven and he is honored. So go, send men to grab this guy by the name of Simon Peter, who's in Joppa, who's staying at the house of, of a tanner whose name is also Simon. Go get him, because he's going to tell you some amazing things. So as the story unfolds, and as we're going to see in the next couple of moments, this is exactly what Cornelius does. Just a couple other things before we dive into the meat here. Simon is, 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 is Peter. He's staying in Joppa at the house of Simon Boreas or Simon the Tanner. Boreas is, is the Greek for Tanner. Uh, there are some scholars that believe that this is just saying what Simon does, like Simon the blacksmith or, or, or Simon the, the, the writer, or Boreas can also be used as a surname. And so this could very well be Simon Boreas or Simon the Tanner. No matter what, Boreas means Tanner, whether he's Simon Tanner or Simon the Tanner, it doesn't matter. It's just fun for me to look at these words, and maybe it's fun for you too. But Peter, staying at the house of Simon Boreas, is here, and he is going to receive a vision from the Lord. But before we dive into the vision he sees from the Lord, I think it should be noted, and if you're taking notes this morning, the title of this morning's message is God-Sized Conversions, the Conversion of a Centurion. Because God is planting seeds. The Holy Spirit, we know from Scripture, the Holy Spirit is drawing all men to the Father. People's hearts are being stirred, and it's, Sad reality, but many people are just shucking that off. They're ignoring the stirring of their hearts. But there are those who are not yet believers who feel the stirring in their heart, feel something in their conscience. They know that there is something more. They are looking. They are searching. They are wanting truth. Maybe you hear me describe this and you look in the world around us and you say, well, there's quite a few people out there. They're looking for truth. They're looking under rocks. They're looking under trees. They're looking in all the wrong places. 
And this is the case. In our society, many people, they look in the wrong places for truth. But I believe wholeheartedly that people, they can feel in their conscience, they can feel the tugging of the Holy Spirit. They might not know that that's what it is. But the Holy Spirit is drawing them and is planting seeds in their heart and they are looking. And it is because of this we see Cornelius, seeds planted in his heart. There's a tugging, there's a conscience. He feels he needs to do something more. He fears God, he prays, but he feels he's compelled to do something more. He reaches out to those in need. He gives alms. He, he helps with social justice. He's looking for opportunities to, to, to appease his conscience. He, he knows there's evil in the world. He knows that he's even somewhat a part of it, being in the Roman army. And, and he's looking for ways that he can help and give to those who are less fortunate. He, he, he looks for social opportunities to bring justice to those who are less fortunate. I'm describing a war world in which we live. And the first point, if you're taking notes, is God prepares the hearts of unbelievers. God prepares the hearts. God is preparing hearts even now as we speak, even amidst all the political turmoil in our nation, all of the hurt and the suffering with racial injustices and all these things. God is preparing the hearts of unbelievers to hear the truth of the gospel. How's that for some life application? There are many Corneliuses all around us even today. People who know that there's something greater, that there is someone greater, that there is some sort of God out there and they want to have relationship with that God. I believe the Holy Spirit is drawing them and is planting the seeds in their heart that are just looking for someone who would be faithful to the Great Commission and would go and would till the ground, would work the soil, would water the soil. But lest I get ahead of myself and bring home the sermon right now, let's take a look at the vision that Peter has received. So Cornelius, he sends these men, and on the next day, as, as they were drawing near to Joppa, Peter goes up onto the top of the house. They got a little rooftop pavilion, Peter goes up there. It's the sixth hour. He's going to start praying. And much like you and me, as he begins to do something spiritual, he gets hungry. We here at Hillside, we have prayer every Wednesday here at this campus at noon. It's lunchtime. We begin to pray. And I, I kid you not, every time we start praying, I'm like, mm, I'm kind of hungry. And Peter is just like us. And Peter, he begins to pray and he gets hungry, and so they go to start making a meal, but Peter there, he falls into a trance, we're told. He begins to have a vision, and it's a vision of a sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and inside of it are all sorts of creepily crawly animals, things with four legs and hooves and all sorts of unclean and common animals, birds of the air, reptiles, snakes, all sorts of stuff. They're being lowered down to Peter, and a voice from heaven comes to him and says, hey, Peter. Let's have a barbecue. Hey, Peter, let's cook these up and eat. And Peter, being the good Jew that he was, was, far be it for me, Lord, I have never let an unclean or a common thing touch my mouth. I follow the kosher laws. Far be it for me. I will not touch any of this. It's occurred three times. And I think there might be something there. 
We're not going to get into that this morning, and I'm starting to dig into it myself. But you know, Peter denied the Lord three times on on the beach after the resurrection. uh, When he's there eating fish with Jesus, Jesus says, do you love me, Peter, three times? Peter has these moments where it's, they come in threes, where he kind of really needs the Lord to drive it home with him. And and so there might be something there. But Peter, he, he, he says, no, these are unclean. It's a vision from heaven. Peter understands this. He understands it's from heaven, and he understands the voice is telling him to eat, but he says, no, I, I, I don't have place with unclean or common things. There's, there's kind of this superiority complex that's occurring in Peter's life. Well, the voice says to him, what God has cleansed, you shall not call common. And as we're going to see, this is, this is really an example. This is, this is allegorical. Uh, this, this vision is, is God saying, I'm about to do something to a non-Jew, someone who you would say is unclean. I'm going to bring the gospel. I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit. I'm going to bring salvation to the Gentiles. Don't call it unclean. But he uses this common example of food. But here we get to our second point. It's our stubbornness. If the first point is God is preparing the hearts of the unbelievers, God is also exposing the hearts of stubborn believers. I know myself, I I can tend to be quite stubborn when I feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter in his vision, he is shown unclean things and, and, and he claims them to be clean and he won't touch them and God chastises him for this. It actually is, is interesting because Peter was there in Mark chapter 7 as Jesus is giving a message about clean and unclean and then the very next thing Jesus does after this, this sermon in Acts chapter 7 is he goes and he ministers to a Gentile woman. You think Peter would have understood it. But Peter, he, he, he's stubborn just like me. And probably just like you. I can give examples of my own life where I have heard the voice of the Holy Spirit prompting me to step out, to reach out. But I have rejected it because of fear. I've rejected it because I thought maybe it was beneath me. I've rejected it because I wrote it off of, oh, well, that's just me wanting to be good. It's not actually the Holy Spirit prompting me. I'll I'll, I'll give one example. And I've given this example before. But there was a time, it was 2006. I was 16 years old. I was a pastor's kid. I was in youth group, so much so that I was a good youth student. I was at Generation Unleashed, a youth conference uh, here in Portland, and, and I was super, super stoked. And it just so happened we all loaded up into our youth leader's van and, and we went to Taco Bell. Now, if you're 16 years old and you go to Taco Bell, praise the Lord. Baja Blast, Crunchwrap Supreme, maybe a couple beefy five-layer burritos. It's a good time. The only thing is, my mom, she was good and she packed me a lunch so I wouldn't spend my hard-earned 16-year-old money. She packed me a lunch, and if you know my mom, she makes really good food, and her sack lunches 
are just as good as her meals that she makes. I had an egg salad sandwich. I had some Fritos. I, I, I mean, it was, it was a good meal. But man, I went to Taco Bell. I'm 16. I love Taco Bell. And I got $15 burning a hole in my pocket that I'm supposed to buy some Generation Unleashed merchandise with. But we went to Taco Bell. We get through that line, everyone's given their orders, it comes to me, I got the sack lunch between my legs, and I say, yeah, I'll get uh, two Chalupa Supremes, extra cheese, maybe a Baja Blast, maybe a couple soft tacos, no lettuce, let's do this thing. I was ready to go. And as we made the corner in this Taco Bell drive through you maybe know the Taco Bell, it's right there off the corner of 92nd and in, 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 in Washington and Stark right off of the 205. So we're making the bend, and as, as the on-ramp to 205 comes into view, there's a row of Arborvitaes right here, and then there is on the corner of the sidewalk. On the corner of the sidewalk, there's a homeless man with a sign. And, and, and I've grown up with a mom and a dad who have given themselves to do ministry to the homeless from the time I was young. I've been on the streets of Portland ministering to those in need, bringing food to those in need. And I see this man on the corner with a sign and it doesn't have a catchphrase. It doesn't say some money. It doesn't say I'll work. It just says I'm hungry and I'd like some food. I've got a sack lunch between my legs. It was made by my mom. I know it's good, but I just ordered Taco Bell. And I felt the Holy Spirit. I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me in my heart saying, give that man your lunch. Now, I couldn't discern from the Lord if the Lord wanted me to give the Taco Bell away or the egg salad sandwich away. I don't know. But the Lord was prompting me to step out in faith, to give food this man but I thought to myself if I get out of this car and go give the sack lunch to this man the rest of the youth kids in this van they're going to think I'm trying to be holier than them or I, 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 I'm some sort of saint or maybe because the girl who I had a crush on was in the van she might think I'm just doing this to try and impress her and I, all these things are running through my head reasons why not to do what the Lord has called me to do the Lord was saying, take, eat. And I'm saying, no, Lord, that's unclean. We went through the Taco Bell drive-thru, got our food, continued on back up the hill to City Bible. Conference came and went. Lunch went bad, tossed it in the garbage can. I missed an opportunity. And to this day, to this day, I still feel what I felt driving away the remorse of hearing the voice of God and not following through. Maybe you're here today and you have a similar story. That being said, I haven't wallowed in that. I've used it as a catalyst. I know the voice of the Lord and when I hear it, I don't wanna feel that feeling of rejecting it again. So I do what the Lord calls me to do. And just by way of redemption on that story, a couple years ago, I was on my way to Gary's auto, auto Repair. You know Gary and Michelle Preston, members of this church. I was on my way to Gary's Auto Repair. And they're right there. Same exit, just right down the road from Taco Bell. I get off the on-ramp. I drive. I get stuck in a light as I'm on my way down. And I look. 
Same corner. Homeless man. Different homeless man 10 years later. But I see a homeless man and he catches eyes with me and I catch eyes with him. And then I adjust the radio, take my eyes off. I look up and he's staring right at me. I'm three or four cars back, but our eyes locked. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, go, give that man some food. And so I went and I pulled and I couldn't turn to give him food right away because if I did, I'd be going into oncoming traffic coming off of the 205. So I went down a couple streets, turned around, whipped back, parked, got out of my car, walked three blocks back to that corner. And he saw me. And he looked and he waved. And I just waved right back at him. He didn't know I was carrying a bag full of food. But I was carrying this bag and I went up to him and I said, hey, I saw you. I couldn't pull over. I'm sorry, but I got some food here for you. Can I pray with you? My name's Matt. And he introduced himself and he said, awesome. Yeah, let's pray. He said, but before you do that, I'll be right back. He set the food down on the corner. I was like, that's weird. But he went and I saw him kind of go up the side of the berm and then he came back and he had like five other people with him. And he said, these are my friends and this, this guy, he, Matt, he brought us food. Now, I didn't know. I thought I was just bringing food to this one individual. But he says, he brought us food. And he starts pulling out. And he starts disseminating food to all his friends. So much so that all that was left in the bag that he had was a Snickers bar. And everyone else got all the food. And then he said, hey, could you pray with us? So I prayed with him. And all that to say, the Lord does amazing things and brings hope to so many people when we get over our own stubbornness. So these visitors, they come to Peter. They speak with Peter. Peter understands what's going on. He, he has a realization. Verses 17 through 23, P, Peter's coming to grips with what the vision he had just received was. These, these visitors come. You see, if God is preparing the hearts of the unbeliever, if God is revealing the stubbornness or exposing the stubbornness of the hearts of believers, he is also setting up divine appointments for believers and unbelievers to come into connection. The third point is God sets up where God prepares divine appointments. Peter goes with these men and he meets with Cornelius. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together all his relatives and all his close friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I myself am a man also. Peter begins to preach to him. He says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and whoever works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all of what you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptisms of John was preached and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised on the third day and showed him openly, 
not to all the people, but to the witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he had rose from the dead. And he has commanded us to preach to all people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and of the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. Three points and then the fourth point. The first point, God prepares the hearts of the unbelievers. The second point, God exposes the stubbornness of believers. Point number three, God prepares divine appointments. And the fourth is God gives fruit for our faithfulness. God gives fruit for our faithfulness. You see, Peter, he denied the calling that God had given him. But then God worked on his heart and he had an opportunity to bring the gospel to something that he had once considered unclean. And God gives the fruit for the faithfulness because in verses 44 through 48, the people are amazed because as Peter preaches this, the Holy Spirit falls on all those who were there. Those who were of the circumcised, those who were Jews, they marveled at this because the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles for they heard them speak with all tongues and magnify God. Peter himself was astonished and said, can anyone forbid water for those who have received the Spirit so that they may be baptized? God gave fruit. We see a Gentile conversion. We see really a Gentile revival as many Gentiles are giving their heart to the Lord because of the faithfulness of Peter who was being drawn by the Spirit to bring the gospel to those who are around him. God prepared the hearts. And if we jump all the way back to the intro of this, we live in a world, we live in a time where there are people who are searching, whose hearts are being drawn. And so often we as Christians, we can sit behind our keyboards and we can talk about all the evil in the world around us and we do nothing about it. We can go to the grocery store and we can shake our head because we see people who are different than us. And we can say to ourselves, well, if only they believed, or if only things were different, and we put ourselves on a pedestal when the Holy Spirit is preparing their hearts and he's speaking to us, we're just not listening. And we need to be people like Peter, who gets over themselves and says, you know what? Rather than talking woe of the world around me, I will bring hope and peace to the world around me. Unclean, common, less than. God said is on the same playing field as you. So much so that I sent my son to die for you and to die for them. Their sins are covered, your sins are covered. And if you both put your faith in me, then you have salvation. So church, this morning, by way of close, I know I was convicted, even as I was studying this. Where are times where I just shake my head at the world around rather than bring the gospel to it? And you might be like me. Maybe you've been rejecting 
the voice of the Spirit urging you to go and just to share love with that person at the gas station or maybe the checker there at Fred Meyer. Whoever it may be, you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Stop just going on with the status quo. Stop doing just the motions of life, but take that moment. Stop. Hear the voice of the Spirit. Obey His prompting. You might be the person that the Holy Spirit told this person was going to come. You might be the Peter going to the Cornelius. You've heard Pastor Dave say it. Whose salvation is on the other side of your willingness to obey? What sorts of eternal destinies might be shaped if you take the time to die to yourself, to pick up your cross daily and follow the example of Jesus. To speak to the woman at the well. To say to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. To call tax collectors. To go to fishers. To go to the most ragged of society. Church, that's what we're called to do. We're called to bring the lame, the maimed, the sick, but we're also called to go to the highways and the hedges, the place where the bandits and the thieves, the robbers exist, and we're to bring them in to the great banquet of our king. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things which I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That doesn't just mean go to your friends. That doesn't just mean go to your family. That doesn't just mean go to places where it's comfortable. It means go to everyone. So let's be like Peter. Let's see the conversion of a centurion in our own lifetime. Let's acknowledge that God is preparing the hearts of unbelievers, that God is exposing our own stubbornness, that God is setting up divine appointments. It is that same God who will give fruit to our faithfulness. So I encourage you this morning, step out in faith, step out in obedience, and see what God does through it all.